and welcome back to this month's episode of That's Haram. I am Corey. Sahar is with me as always. Hello, Assalamualaikum. Welcome back. So I know we said we were going to do a theologically heavy episode, and then we realized um, Ramadan's next month. Surprise, it's here, it's back. The year and goes we by didn't, so quickly. <laughs> I mean, we knew it was coming, but for some reason it didn't like actually sink in. And we were like, we don't really want to be talking about the stuff we're talking about this episode during Ramadan, because one of them is like a Haram producer anyway, with Chuck Moore. <laughs> So let's like, oh, okay, let's let's just swap these around. That way, you know, our Ramadan episode is nice and theologically heavy anyways, and it fits, and we're not feeling like slightly skeezy for talking about media-related things during the holy month. <laughs> what she said. So this episode that has been bumped up, there's a couple of... Uh, media bits we want to talk about and then also it wound up kind of coinciding because there's been some events between when we last recorded our episode and now particularly about black people women women of color muslims that have come up and we're kind of like you know what let's just do an omnibus episode and we can talk about it and get it off our chests also what she said (laughs) so uh we did we're gonna go ahead and start with the lighter stuff before we jump into what sparked the lion's share of this conversation or this episode uh so there were two media bits we kind of wanted to touch on one is called is an upcoming film short called rules of the game and the other one is that chuck lore show the united states of al and, you know, you can probably be guessing why we did not want to talk about that during Ramadan. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and let Sahar uh, touch base, kind of give you a little bit of a teaser on what rules of the game is. Yeah. So those of you who've been following us know that we were super excited about East of La Brea. And one of the leads, Kausar Muhammad, is actually, I should say has, because this is past tense. She wrote a short film that is currently in post-production that explores themes of belonging, family, and tradition, and quote, reflects so desperately what we need right now. And the premise of the short is that all the cards are on the table when a queer Muslim South Asian American woman introduces her partner for the first time at a family game night. And the family is three siblings, and then their partners are also there. And so they're all playing games and, you know, dealing with the aspect of coming out for some of them, and some of them are already out. And kind of dealing with like what happens when you've got different partners from all different backgrounds. So it's not all South Asian Muslims who are at the table. And so I'm really excited and we're going to have more news soon as like we know more about it. And so hopefully there'll be a short trailer at some point in the near future. I'm sure they'll send it to festivals and all that. But it seems like a really great short film. And obviously Corey and I are always up for supporting Muslim produced about Muslim content. And so we'll see how this goes because I'm sure it'll be really funny, but also very emotional and tug at a lot of heartstrings. And if you are just tuning into us for the first time and you're like, what is East of La Brea? We will have, pardon me, we'll have a link to our previous episode discussing East of La Brea in the article for when this podcast has been published. So be sure to check that out if you're curious because we really, really love that series. 
And if you've watched Camp Cretaceous, then you'll realize, oh, wait a second. Kowser's name sounds familiar. It's because she plays Yaz in the series. So probably some of you have already seen her work before or are familiar, but didn't quite realize that's who we were talking about. Also, uh, the director for Rules of the Game, Fazia Mirza. I hope I pronounced that name right. I'm really sorry. Yes, you did. (laughs) Also exciting. Uh, We've kind of, you may have heard of her name or us say her name before uh, in reference to a show that one of us actively despises for her not being able to do something on there. (laughs) Yeah. So long story short, she had, I guess it's not really audition when you're trying to be a writer but she had submitted a writing sample and whatnot for the bold type but then was passed over for whoever else and then of course all the news broke that the bold types writer room was almost entirely if not entirely white this year this last year has been so long that frankly i don't even remember nor do i really wish to because that show it's fine we're not gonna do it because every time it comes up i'm like i'm gonna rant for three thousand years but we don't have time for that so i'm gonna rein it back in but the point is the director is also queer and identifies as such has a wife and or is married i can't remember and then she's also south asian which is really cool so it's exciting to have a producer and writer and actor and closer in the short and then also having Fosa produce or direct it um so let's move on to something that's maybe less wholesome unfortunately and that is the chuck lore series the united states of al and you know chuck lore in and of himself is could be considered haram for the content he produces. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, Corey just really doesn't like Chuck for good reason. But every time she talks about her, this way just cracks me up. Because I'm just like, if he ever heard our little podcast, he'd be like, what does this word mean? I'm so confused. <laughs> haram visibility. That's haram visibility. More people should be using this phrase to realize what is and is not cursed. Um, <clears throat> anyways. So this show is premiering April 1st of this year on CBS. And it was already there's a problem there. (laughs) So uh, anyways, uh, it was created by Chuck Lorre, David Gotch and Maria Ferrari. And it's about a, the show is about a friendship between Riley, um, a Marine combat veteran who is, has been struggling to readjust to civilian life in Ohio and his Afghan interpreter, Al, who served in his unit and just arrived to start a new life in the U.S. And I give the credit, I mean, I give the show credit for at least touching on the interpreters and promises that were either upheld or not upheld to the Afghan interpreters who were helping U.S. troops at that time. That's maybe all the credit I want to give to it. And thus we get um, the trailer, I guess, looked okay. There was a line I liked in there about, oh, hey, how could you have helped me all the way from Afghanistan? And I was like, we have Wi-Fi. But, (laughs) you know, I I went and I kind of looked this up and um, Al is played by Adir Kalyan. If I if I mispronounce that name, I'm really sorry. I'm trying very hard. Um, Who is a South African Indian. So I like casting that we have, choices. Yeah. Casting choices lot. are a lot. Um, <clears throat> he's 
from an Indian South African family. Uh, his mom is a member of the South African National Assembly. And I'm just kind of like, I really wish our casting could kind of get to where it needs to be when we write these characters, because there's still this kind of like, oh, well, you're within the acceptable shades of brown to play this particular character. I don't care about your background. You're good. Does that make sense? Well, and I I do need to, I mean, to clarify for our listeners, there's the legal aspect to this because they're not actually allowed to, like casting directors can't actually be like, we want Asian to play Asian. What they can put is, for example, I was looking this up because I was looking up the casting for the Leverage sequel. They put the description of the character's name and then they were like, comma age comma asian american right so the purpose of that implies to anyone auditioning that they should be asian to play the character and cbs i highly doubt their casting department even thought that part through and so they were probably just like to play african interpreter so then anyone who wants to try out can do so and then they're going to pick in their point of view whoever the most appropriate person is but the same thing happened with the canadian series transplant which was also transplanted because of covid onto nbc's fall well kind of fall season this past year and the actor playing the syrian refugee is not syrian and so there's a huge discussion being had right now in casting where it's like well if the person who's casting clearly knows that they're not whatever the background of the character is what is their capability to push back against the director or whoever else is making decisions to say well we should try to cast someone who more closely fits this background mm-hmm. um and so like for legal purposes, I totally understand why that's the case. Like Hollywood is really weird about title. I can't remember the title that specifically relates to this and like technically trying not to be discriminatory for age, sexuality, whatnot. Um, and the same thing happened with, for example, when they just cast Javicia Leslie for Batwoman, like the casting call was like, this character will be X, Y, Z. Therefore, whoever identifies this way is able to apply and, and audition. Um, What's interesting to me as someone who has worked with refugees for almost six years now is that this is very much the case of what has happened to a lot of the refugees that I've met. A lot is implies like hundreds, but there's been a number of refugees I've met who are SIVs, the special immigrant visas from Afghanistan, who were in fact sponsored by their, um, their, the people in, their, in the unit that they helped. Or in one case in Dallas, um, a couple of years before President Trump's executive orders and whatnot, there was this man who him and his brothers had all served. And so they all sponsored interpreters. So while I think it's a really great story to tell, I'm not quite sure that like the Chuck Lore comedic universe is the one that needs to tell it. However, on the other side, as we have not seen an episode, I don't want to like preemptively completely be like, it's going to be awful. And interestingly enough, Bob Hart's Abishola, which is the show that came out last year, starring the Nigerian actress and her, like the cast is mostly Nigerian plus the white dude. I've heard good things about that show, even though I think the humor and like the premise in that show is still suspect. Long story short, sock salesman falls in love with nurse, nurse falls in love with him. And I'm kind of like, I don't know about that. You like showed up at the hospital to talk to her. It's fine. Everyone in their rom-coms, we all know that all those tropes are haram. That's an episode for another day. So I am like not excited for it and I'm not hopeful, but I am like cautiously 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 optimistic that it won't be complete garbage and since it seems like this is run by people who aren't only chuck lore then maybe it'll be okay we'll see who knows it could also just be a complete cluster we'll find out after ramadan 
Yeah, I mean, two of the executive producers for the show are Riza Aslan and Maya Tusi. So yeah, there there is some level of representation on there in the higher higher up area. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I couldn't find the list of writers because the WGA website has not been updated. So I can't creep and like find out who anyone is. But what's interesting is there are um, veterans who are consulting and then there are obviously Reza Aslan and Maha Tusi consulting. So because the premise requires consultants, I think that that part is at least being taken care of versus when we think of Chuck Lorre, we think of like Two and a Half Men and Big Bang Theory. Like there's no people behind the scenes of color that we know of, right? That are like famous for being part of those shows. Mm -hmm. So this and Bob Hart's Abishola, I think, are different in that, like, they specifically hire people to make sure that it's not a complete garbage sauce, which is good. And I mean, like, frankly, it could be a good show in the context of CBS comedic, right? Like, it's, it's a very specific audience that this is being sent towards. This wasn't made for me and Corey. It was made for the predominantly old white people who watch CBS, which I think, um, unfortunately or fortunately this could be like the first time any of them even know what refugees are right so I think there's definitely something to be said about that and then as far as it like airing elsewhere if it ever makes it to a second season then you know like I'm not expecting like people under 18 to be watching this series necessarily it's definitely the older folks who like sit at home and like regularly watch CBS live and then the folks who are like outside of that 45 age range who are like I haven't left my house because there's a pandemic so let me just scroll and see what's airing oh another Chuck show I like his shows you know so we'll see we'll we'll report back at the beginning of our well not the beginning of our next episode the one after that because then a few episodes will have aired and I will take the I'll take the I don't know what the word is for the team and I'll, I'll watch one the for episode. the team there we go I'll take one for the team so Corey doesn't have to and I'll report back on um whether or not it's good plus I don't like comedy so this will be an extra hilarious review for me because, like, the last comedy that I watched was I Love Lucy. So, yeah, that's United States of Al. Uh, we'll see how that goes. And then moving into the main chunk of this episode, if you will. Corey, take us away. So, some things have happened since our last episode. Um, there was a very shocking murder in the UK, unfortunately, of a woman who was walking alone at night. The Meghan Markle interview happened. Some Mark. other things have happened. And it's all kind of centered around people either trying to explain why they have issues with the way their lives currently are. And there's pushback where they're having to justify things that aren't even related to what they're talking about. Or people keep making excuses of to why we don't have to feel empathy for people or ways to invalidate them. And it started for me, I read an article. Um, it was in the guardian, uh, February 15th last month from Nesreen Malik. And it kind of centers on how you have young up and coming Muslim women in either journalism fields or screenwriting or other types of like media or even science but they talk about they try to discuss things that are important to them or they try to take part in projects 
and they're either left extremely vulnerable or they're having to answer for things that are not even in the scope of what they're supposed to be talking about. So like there's um, a screenwriter mentioned in the article, Lena, it's not a real name. So uh, Lena, who had an experience with a broadcaster says she took part in what she was told was a comedic piece about microaggressions and the way that broadcaster edited it and distributed it left her open to absolutely horrific online hate and she she's like i'm really off of interacting with media for life like she doesn't want to have anything to do with it yeah um, you saw the same thing in how swiftly when Prince Harry and Meghan Markle had that interview with Oprah. It wasn't that there was pushback. Obviously, I was expecting there was going to be pushback. It was the type of pushback of, oh, well, you have money, so it doesn't matter if you were suicidal. Yeah. Oh, you have money. It doesn't matter if you were upset about death threats to yourself. Oh, we're not racist. Why don't you answer for all of this? We're not racist. We couldn't possibly answer this. But what about X, Y, Z for you? And every time, um, again, with the murder of that young woman over in the UK, Sarah, I'm just one of the hashtags created to this in light of that murder was not all men. Uh Mm-hmm. And this seems to happen every single time Sarah Everard, pardon me, uh, was the victim in the UK. And I'm just, every single time you see people trying to speak up about their trauma or speak up about injustices that have happened to them, the predominant group finds ways to, oh, well, what do you think about this? You know, in that article that I referenced the Guardian article, one of the women profiled was speaking about a particular point and then people tried making her answer as to, well, why do you wear hijab? She's Mm -hmm. not talking about hijab. Why are you bringing this up as a got you as opposed to listening to her actual points? Make it make sense for me that the person who has been wronged who has been hurt has to justify even mentioning how they have been hurt. And I mean, it it happens in all formats in media where anyone who is marginalized, and this is specifically because whiteness in the part of the world that we live in and primarily now because of globalization, the whole world, whiteness is representative, being straight is representative. Being able by you know, like the whole list is very long and I'm not going to go into it because nobody has time for that. But everything that you can think of, those are what's represented. So anytime you have someone going against that, they are now forced to answer for every other person that's ever come from that same background or does the same thing as them. And I'm like, you don't ask every white person why every other white person is blank, but blank, blank, right? Like, and those weren't blanks for curse words. Those were just like fill in the blank with whatever you want to put in. Um, <laughs> And so thinking about like the ways that we're always, especially when it comes to women, especially when it comes to people who are in positions of power, we're always asking them to speak up for whatever it is that we think they should be able to answer for. The same thing happened to me. I've been wearing hijab since I turned 14, if I did my math right. That sounds fake. 
whatever my first year of high school was, however old I was then. I put it on the first day of high school and I haven't taken enough since. And the first week of school, as you might imagine, beyond the fact that like the first week of school, everyone wants to know what you did all summer. The questions were, why are you wearing a job now? Like, did your parents make you do it? Oh my gosh, are they going to marry you? And I'm like, you are all awful people. And I'm going to say mean things to you back and then embarrass you. And then they don't talk to me anymore and it's fine. But not everyone has that ability. And especially when you're up doing an interview, you have to compose yourself within split seconds, respond to whatever it is you're being asked uh, and hope that like you being recorded doesn't mean that whatever your split second reaction was on your face shows up. Because I am a person who everything shows on my face. So uh, there have been times where I've been on video in class or other situations where people are being high key, highly racist. And I'm like, okay, well, since we're going to do that, let's see how this goes with me in the room. It's not going to go well. But that's not possible for everybody, especially when it's the first time that you've written a book or you're doing a great interview with someone or you are, I mean, again, like the list is endless. And I don't want to just keep listing things because that's, annoying well and especially if you're talking to somebody who is bad faith like let's i'll name him piers morgan yeah the man has an obsession with Meghan markle that is not healthy and he got himself he quit i'm doing finger quotations itv Mm -hmm. after the day after that interview where Meghan markle said she was had been suicidal he went on TV and said, I don't believe her. And he's mad because he met her once and she didn't want anything to do with him after she met him because she had to. And that's why he is stuck on her. Which but is he the has, case. especially black British or, you know, black UK women come on to mm-hmm. quote unquote explain but it's in bad faith because he would constantly interrupt them and talk over them. But the mm-hmm. moment he got a little bit of pushback from a man, he stormed up. He stormed off the set. Mm-hmm. And now he's upset. He's like, I'm breaking my silence. Dude, you never shut up in the first place. Just take a seat. I, I will not be silenced. This is my right to free speech and blah, blah, blah. No, you were harassing, serially harassing a biracial black woman because she didn't want anything to do with you. Obviously she made the right call there. Well, and I think, you know, bringing it back down to just like daily actions and behaviors, this is the kind of stuff that women and other marginalized people deal with all the time when they have stalkers, right? Like mm-hmm. imagine the person who isn't on a, on a TV show who doesn't have a morning series and is just creeping on someone because they think, they have the they have the right to do so and because of whatever right they were given by whoever themselves they can creep on someone they can follow a woman they can email her they can show up to her house um i saw something earlier and i can't remember the celebrity and i don't want to name it because i don't want to give off the wrong information but from my understanding this woman had like come back from getting groceries and there was a bird in her house like a large dead bird and and someone pointed out okay if within the context of everything else going on in her life her stalker put that bird in her house. So like, how do you feel safe? And I know I'm like totally taking in a slightly different direction than the court probably expected, but I've been thinking about this in the context of, again, he is mad because she had, she didn't want anything to do with him because an attractive young woman went to an interview that she was told to do by her PR person and then had the audacity, had the gall to never want to speak to him again because he's a huge creep and has always been awful to people. And it ties into the broader 
aspect of, again, with the Sarah Everard murder. Mm-hmm. And the response immediately t- trending on Twitter was not all men. Well, not all men, but yes, all women feel scared to walk alone at night. It doesn't matter if it's not all men. All women have that fear because of men. Mm-hmm. So either you shut up and listen or you're not allowed to be part of the conversation. I'm sorry. Well, and I think too, it's a larger discussion to have that. I don't know that we can have in the time here today, but just the way that the UK media and journalism system works in general. I mean, when you think about the way that transphobia runs rampant in both the US and the UK, but especially in the way- We do not have space for that here. We do not have space because I will get off on a tangent. But I think that it's a lot, I mean, again, like none of the stuff that we talk about, whether it's just about a silly TV show because we're annoyed with something that happened on it or we're excited about a character, none of this exists in a vacuum. And I think sometimes Mm -hmm. it can get really easy to go, oh my God, it's just a show. It's just a song. It's just a book. And it's like, if that was the case, we wouldn't have people who spent all of their lives hung up on a book series, get really depressed when the author turns out to be a fill in the blank bigot, right? And um, when that happens, there's sometimes a conversation that people are like, oh my gosh, people are dying, Kim meme, or, you know, there's other important things going on in the world. And the thing is like, it's all important. All of this impacts the idea that there is a finite amount of empathy. And that this is the one I really hate. Like again, with the Meghan Markle thing. Oh my God, there's a coup, a military coup with the junta going on in Myanmar. And we are caring about these two spoiled babies. I'm like, I can have empathy for a biracial woman who was harassed to the point of being suicidal and care about Myanmar. What they're really saying when they're making that point is they themselves lack empathy to care about more than one thing at a time. Well, I mean, it's the same thing when people are like, oh my gosh, why is no one talking about this on my TL? And I'm like, follow better people. I don't know. Open the computer and hit Google. It's not that hard to find people talking about whatever it is you think people aren't talking about. You just found out 0.5 seconds ago that something is happening in fill in the blank country. And now you want to act like you're an expert. Listen, Linda, Mm -hmm. everybody on the planet is not going to be able to care about all 100% of the shit that's going on. We would live. Our brains brains are not made to do that. that. I'm sorry. We cannot even fathom the sheer number of people who have died because of COVID because humans, that is not a thing that we are meant to do or made to do. And so is there a broader discussion to be had about like what specifically the Megan Markle interview represents and all this other stuff that again, we don't have time to do like, yes, absolutely. And there have been plenty of black women who have been very clearly like li- laying out why it's a very specific instance. of misogynoir that Megan Markle is facing, but if she were a dark skin black woman, we would be having a different conversation or whatever the differences that might be and the nuances that there are that I personally am not qualified to like go in on about for an hour, nor do I really want to. But what Corey is saying and what the point that we're both trying to make is, is that like the way that the media portrays these situations, the way that people on the internet respond to it. And like, again, to be fair, right, when we're talking about this, Twitter has like 100 million active users and 10% of those users tweet 90% of the tweets. So obviously the number of people on the internet who are paying attention to this are very small compared to the almost 8 billion people on the planet. Like, I And we don't even know how many of them are bots. Right. So like, I fully am aware of that. But I still think it's worth talking about. Because again, for those of us who are online, and clearly, if you're listening to us, you are online in some capacity. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Online meaning like we spend time online, not that you have internet access, right? 
is that you're going to be in these situations or you're going to see these problems play out. And I think it's worth thinking about your own, like how we ourselves are implicated in the responses to these situations as well. And I'm going to point something out. And this is a landmine. I am, I, I am aware this is a landmine. White women are victims of misogyny and sexism and the patriarchy. That is not up for debate. And white women are very much a part of that conversation of all women feel threatened. However, white women tears to get out of other people of color saying you're racist to me, you've been racist or that's a racist opinion is not okay. And yeah, I, white am I talking about Sharon Osbourne? Yes. LOL. Sharon Osbourne can just, yeah, I'm going to drink some water instead. Yeah. You drink some water. I'm going to round this out. White <laughs> women. I need you to understand crying to try and get out of somebody telling you you did something that hurt them is not okay in and i'm talking about like again what happened with sharon osborne if you're being confronted about being racist and you start the waterworks and i can't possibly be racist you're attacking me you should feel bad just stop own your shit pardon my language i almost got through an entire episode without doing this but own your bleeping shit it's okay we just need to not curse during the ramadan episode i know we'll be fine (laughs) yeah We'll, be, we'll have a really good episode in Ramadan, but I, I, I want to make this very clear. White women are still victims of the patriarchy. They're still victims of misogyny and sexism and all the violence that comes with that. But white women occupy a very specific sphere of privilege, and we need to be careful that white women are not abusing that sphere to get out of their own accountability. Yeah, I mean, white women are complicit and sometimes, like, explicitly so. Half the people going after Meghan Markle are white women. I mean, white women and Sarge Noir, a long history of that. Mm -hmm. All I'm going to say, we don't have time in this episode. But I wanted to point that out. I wanted to make that distinction of, like, there is work to be done. I mean, there's always work to be done. Just because Corey and I are talking about stuff doesn't mean that, I mean, no one... We definitely don't think we're perfect. And we're fully aware of the fact that like every day is a going day for us as well. A day of growth. I don't know how that should be phrased, but you get the point. Like yeah, there's, there's always going to be times where we learn things. We're like, oof, we won't do that again. Good to know. And then yeah, there's been the times life. that Sahar's told me, he's like, hey, uh, that term's actually ableist. I know you didn't know that. I'm just letting you know. I'm like, oh, okay. And I don't use it again. Or there's been times where with Sahara will say something. I was like, actually, if you phrase it that way, it's still kind of colonialist. And she's like, oh, I didn't realize that. What's a better way to phrase it? And you go on and you don't get defensive. You just say, okay. And you, you know, if you need to do some of your own research onto it, then you do your own research and you just adapt and go on. It's not hard. I think so much of this also just has to do with the fact that like, People think that they're perfect. And not only that, but they, people, and this is like general people, right? We all think that we're above being incorrect or that because we've spent so much time on the internet or because of whatever reason, we know everything there is to know about something. And the thing is, that's not the case. There is not a single person on this planet alive who knows everything about everything or even everything about one thing. Even people who have like 16 PhDs, I don't think there's a person on the planet 
person who does. But you get my point, right? Even people who have spent their whole lives learning about a subject are not going to know everything to know about that subject. And being, what is the word I'm looking for? Not, I don't know. My words are leaving me today. You have a level of pride about yourself. Yeah. And I mean, in Islam, pride is one of the greatest sins. And he who is proud is arrogant. You know, Muhammad, peace be upon him, told his followers, no person with an Adam's weight of pride in his heart shall enter paradise. Right. You know, Allah loves not the proud and arrogant. And you thinking you're above having anything to learn or having to admit accountability to somebody telling you you hurt them, that is pride and that is arrogance. And that's a sin. Humility. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you, Google. Um, Being humble and being able to go, you know what, I was wrong is, I think, one of the most important skills that people can have. Like, for example, I do not have the patience of virtue. And I don't necessarily think I have the patience of being humble either. But I definitely work towards the latter than the former because patience, whatever. But being humble and being able to not have that hubris that somehow I know everything and even those subjects that I do know quite a lot about I'm always going to sit down and be like okay someone has told me something else can I internalize this and do I agree with them and if so how do I move forward with my life knowing that and if I don't agree with them like why don't I agree with them I think so much of what's happened with the media and we've talked about this we're talking about this at length where it's like we have been primed especially those of us living in the US UK other places where there's like conglomerate news aggregators we have been primed to have the shortest attention spans, to not think about anything critically, and we're bombarded by so much awful content that our brains, again, we're not ready to sift through, again, like with COVID, right? The, when COVID first started in the US for us in March, there was so much bad news that kept coming out. And there was other bad news that was happening and other awful things that were going on. And I remember reading the articles about Italy when Italy first had like that awful, awful wave. You cannot fathom how that impacts you and I think the same thing happens where it's like we're given so much information and so much stuff that's thrown at us that you know when you read about why certain people move towards conspiracy theories and I'm not talking like QAnon I'm talking more just like I don't know surface level conspiracy theories like Mm -hmm. I understand why that's the case because it's really easy to be like wow there's a lot of things happening here's this conspiracy theorist who has just like laid out everything in ways that make sense to me I'm going to hold on to that now and once that's sense of self is connected to a theory or connected to a topic it's hard to pull yourself out of that I think that's the same thing that happens with a lot of people who are like the British family isn't racist and it's like it is an equivocal fact that the British family is racist they literally colonize so much of the world there's no way to say they're not racist but the people who are defending it do so not because they think the British family is racist they do so because they don't want to admit that they're racist they don't want to admit that they're part of the problem. And I think that's so much of what's happening with a lot of this media. Like Piers Morgan has always been awful. I watched him when he used to judge America's Got Talent. Same with Sharon Orsborn. They've always been crappy people and rude to contestants and think they're better than everyone because God made them British. Like that's just always been a case for people like them. But then when other people who have never met any of these people, who will never meet any of these people, who are hanging out anonymous, anonymously on the internet because they can say whatever they want as since there's no consequences. That's the stuff that really gets me because I'm just like, dude, what are you doing with your life? That this is what you have decided is the hill you will stand on until you are dead. Like that is the kind of action I don't understand. Why is it hard to just go, you know what? I was wrong and then not be wrong again. 
I cannot answer that question as I am not a psychologist, but I just, whew, it really gets me going. Well, every episode gets us going, but this one especially is just super frustrating because I'm sick and tired of people being forced to answer for themselves as if they're representative of the whole culture, background, gender, sexuality, whatnot. I'm really annoyed about racism and the fact that we're still having these conversations years later about whether or not the British family is racist. What the heck? It's 2021, guys. There was a global pandemic going on. I have other things to do. Also, if somebody tells you that they're hurt, don't be throwing out justifications for why you don't have to care. That too. Like, don't, or, don't be a, I'm not. Butthead. Say, yes. Thank you. I'm or, trying so I mean, hard. <laughs> if you, my other thing too, is like, just to, to get us just kind of back on like the general thought process around this topic and just media in general, like if you don't like something, here's a great example. I'm just going to say it out, say it. There are a lot of shows that I do not like. There are a lot of things that I don't care about. Sometimes it's because I have a reason that includes whether or not the actor involved or the author involved or someone involved was a bigot or something about the show is harmful. Sometimes I just don't like that shit. And like, it's okay to not like something, but you can also just like not talk about it and move on with your life. And I think bringing it back to like our, co- like what we talk about on this podcast a lot about just like media, we critically engage media because we're huge nerds and we have nothing else to do with our lives. And it keeps us going when the world is on fire. And I enjoy reading things and reviewing things and thinking about the ways that make those things work and the ways that don't. There are plenty of people on this planet who can watch just plain, like, I'm not saying reality TV is all garbage, but I'm going to use that as an example, as a shorthand, because everyone knows how reality TV is viewed by the general public, right? Most people just think of it as reality trash. There are plenty of people who can watch that stuff, watch literally thousands of hours of it and live their best lives. That is not me. If I did that, I think I would just, like, fall asleep because I just couldn't handle it, right? But there's nothing wrong with that by itself. Again, it goes back to within larger context, within the ways that we interact with each other. When you are sitting with a friend who is really excited about a thing and your first response, and this is something I have to remember to not do as well, to jump to, oh, this is awful and here are all the reasons why. Like, if we all just told ourselves to just shut up for two seconds, even five seconds, and just, like, sit while people talk about the things they like, it would be a lot better. Also, you can mute heavily on Twitter. If you're in discords, you can mute notifications. Like it's not hard to curate a space in some cases. There's obviously exceptions. There we go. Exceptions to all of this. But for the most part, like we can make spaces for ourselves where we are able to enjoy the things we love and talk about the things we don't love in healthy, appropriate ways without going down the rabbit hole and then waking up ready for like violence every morning. There is a way to live that life. I haven't quite managed it yet, but I, there is a way to do it. <laughs> so anyways, that about wraps up our episode this time. You can probably guess why we didn't kind of realize uh, maybe this isn't appropriate for Ramadan. So <laughs> <laughs> next month will be the more theologically heavy episode, especially, you know, with quote unquote angelology and equivalences and all of that. So it is coming. It will be next month. Um, it will be Ramadan by the time you hear our next episode. So for all of you between now and then and when Ramadan starts, we hope you have a happy and peaceful and productive Ramadan. Also, don't forget to check out our other podcasts on the Fundamentals Network. We have Right to Survive, All Bark, No Dice, Sartorial Splendor, Ladies First. Obviously, that's Haram. We also have... Faith Forge Academy, that is a weekly occurring podcast, and it's a live play TTRPG. Uh, they do some really awesome stuff. 
um, earlier this month, they had their Fayfest 2021, which all the pro- uh, proceeds they raised went to benefit Black Girls Code. So definitely recommend check them out. We also have Cannon Fodder, and I think I got all of them. I don't have Thanks the list Taylor listening. made for me. <laughs> That's okay. They know how to search. And if they're listening to us, they've already heard it the last however many episodes that we've had. Thank exactly. you for listening. We'll see you, hear you, you know. Well, I guess you'll hear us. We won't yeah. hear you. <laughs> All right. Thank you message us and send us questions. Bye. Bye.